Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. My name is Katie. If we have not met, I am part of the team here at C3. And hey, if you're not on team in the room, you should come on team because it is the most fun experience being part of making church life happen. And so you can do that by chatting someone in a red t-shirt after. They would love, love, love to talk to you. There's actually quite a lot of red t-shirts in the room, Um, but actually a red connect team t-shirt. Uh, right now we're going to take our offering, receive an offering, so you, ways to give will be on the screen or if you want to give in the room with cash, then just raise your hand and someone will come bring you a, an envelope to do that. Last Sunday we received our vision offering. Who was in the, here last Sunday? Yeah, so we received a vision offering and um, there's still time to give into that. So the nature of vision offerings, it kind of takes a while to come in and, and that kind of thing. But we're going to be announcing that on the 31st of October. But if you still want to give to the vision offering, you can just mark that vision offering and that would be incredible. I had the privilege, like I was saying, I was sat by the front and watching the people who were giving into that, some of whom who have kind of come during this last year or so, just because of online and stuff, who are now giving into the vision offering was really amazing to watch. So 31st of October, we will announce what the final figure is. And all of that will go towards reaching and shaping more lives with the message and cause of Jesus Christ. 31st of October is also our light night. So we're going to have our light night in this room and online. And so if you want to be a part of that, um, hey, adults could be a part, come join team for it. But if you want, you've got children under the age of 11, it's a great opportunity for them to come have a fantastic night. So talk to their kids' church leader about that. We also have baptisms coming up. I'm just a rolling news ad. We've got baptisms on the 14th of November. And so if you've not yet been baptised, you can head into our Next Steps Lounge, which is through Coldham's Coffee, and someone would love to talk to you about baptism. We believe that as soon as you believe in Jesus Christ, it is right to be baptised. So you can go and chat to someone about that. But right now it's time for the youth, 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 if you're in the room to go out with Pastor Dylan, follow him out that way, and I think you're going to have a great morning, I am sure. And as they go, I'm going to announce today's speaker. So... This We are on week three now of a four-week series. So next week is the last one of this series. But hasn't it been great? It's been a great series of really learning. And um, hey, this. Uh, let's be clear, if you haven't watched, actually, the last couple, I'd really encourage you to watch them because it is a series of four conversations which do need to be watched together and need to be um, explored together. So... Racial justice is a part of the gospel and through this series of conversation we are seeking to explore issues of justice that Jesus has commanded us to do. And today in this conversation we look forward to a time, and I'm quoting in Revelation 7, when a great multitude that no one can number from every nation and all tribes and all people and all languages are standing before the throne and before the Lamb. It's going to be a good day, isn't it? And so... um, Today's speaker is somebody called Chinny McDonald, and she is a theologian, she's an author, and soon to be the director of Theos Think Tank, which exists to stimulate the debate about the place of religion and society and challenging and changing ideas through research, commentary, and events. So come on, let's welcome Chinny McDonald. Enjoy. 
Our pleasure today to have Chinny MacDonald with us, who is continuing with this series we're doing, Race the Conversation. Um, Chinny is Head of Public Engagement at Christian Aid, a regular contributor to the BBC Religion and Ethics programmes. Many of you, like us, probably heard her on Radio 4, on Thought for the Day, The Daily Service and Prayer for the Day. However, today our focus is primarily around the release of this excellent book, God is Not a White Man and Other Revelations. I would recommend everyone to read this book. It's not easy reading, it's uncomfortable in many places, uh, but it really is an excellent book on this whole subject of race, racism and the broader scene in relation to that. And so I'm, I'm going to start with Chine. Pleasure to have you here. I'm going to ask you just two questions first, Chine, to set the scene. Uh, the first is, how on earth did you manage to write this book in a global pandemic, in lockdown, with a toddler? Uh, and the second question related to your toddler, your golden brown boy, as you call him, is I watched the um, launch uh, um, that you did at the church house and he made an appearance in the background and knocked down the uh, the bookshelf behind which i thought was brilliant but then your husband i assume it was came in and took him out quietly i want to know how you wrote the book but what did you say to your husband after that and his babysitting uh, duties <laughs> yeah. um yeah so it was oh it was really painful actually and really really hard writing the book and sometimes i look at it and i think it feels like I almost wrote it in a trance or something um, because uh, it had actually been a few years in the making and I'd had uh, conversations with the publishers for a couple of years uh, thinking about what to write about and I kind of got commissioned to write the book in kind of February 2020. Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful that I wrote it at that so, exact moment in history because I was writing through George Floyd's murder, Black Lives Matter protests, COVID, and it would have been a completely different book had it been, you know, finished um, last year. But it was it was really hard. Um, I sure. had also at the same time got a, um, a promotion at work and wow. was doing two jobs, <laughs> um, plus the kind of broadcasting on the side. And I had to, uh, and nurseries were closed, so just really had to create time at either end of the day. So kind of 5 a.m. wake-ups practically just to have some space. Um, and yeah, the, the, the book launch, <laughs> I was absolutely mortified that that happened. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so, you know, the, the launch was happening at around nursery home time. So my husband had <laughs> picked him up, thought everything was all right downstairs. My office was upstairs uh, and thought everything was going fine. And then he kind of appeared at the door with a, hello, yeah. mummy, hello, mummy. Yeah. Um, and then wandered around and then knocked over my bookcase, which well, fell think, on top of him. I think the buzzword these days is authentic, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So it yeah. certainly yeah. came over in that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was more fine. But that is, basically, that's what it was like, like yeah. trying to write this yeah. in chaotic circumstances yeah. of home. Understand. Well, well done. You've done it. The book is here. It must feel quite a strange experience when you open that box of books and you actually, it's in your hand after you've planned and dreamt it for so long. Tell us about the book and tell us more about why you wrote it and why you sense that this book needed to be written. I think I guess I start with, um, we haven't often heard the voices of black British Christian women. Mm -hmm. um, we tend to hear um, 
more voices from the US about the black experience within white majority spaces and within the church. Um, so I guess um, that, is my, that is my unique uh, voice. Um, but when I started to think about what it means to be a black British woman um, in white majority spaces in, in the UK, um, I, I guess I arrived at the, the actual the depictions of God. And as a as a framing for this idea of whiteness as being superior, um, whiteness as being closest to godliness. Mm -hmm. um, so li the literal depictions of God that we've seen throughout history, um, throughout art. Um, there's this image that I talk about in the book um, that was written by that was drawn by uh, Warner Salman, who's an American artist in 1940. Mm. And this image is kind of, of a Jesus who looks like uh, kind of a, an American hippie. He's got this, it's like a yearbook photo style. Mm -hmm. And it's got this kind of warm glow in the background. He's got piercing blue eyes, wavy hair, the kind of iconic um, Jesus image. And that image has been reproduced a billion times around the world. And for me, I can totally understand um, this idea of the incarnation as being um, this amazing idea of God becoming like us. So therefore, in different cultural contexts, it makes sense for God to um, to take take on, uh, I guess, the culture of um, the culture, the context that it's in. My problem is that that Warner Salman image is found throughout the world, throughout um, Nigeria, where I'm from, and um, Asian countries. Um, and it's because of this kind of idea of whiteness as being closer to godliness. So I guess that's the framing, but actually the book is a kind of intended double meaning. So it's God is not a white man, so about the depictions, but it's also white men are not gods. So this challenge to white supremacy and patriarchy across um, different spheres. So I talk about uh, interracial marriage, I talk about um, depictions of Africa, uh, aid and development, feminism, um, womanhood, uh, as well as theology in the church yeah. as well. So you go there, you go to all those places that got, you don't hold back really, which is great, I think it's great, it's really brave and it's really what we need to hear and we need to explore. Um, but for a moment, shall we look at a little bit about the, the element of gender, that, talking about God having a gender, should we be challenging that should we be looking at that and kind of even in our language of how we refer to God what what are your thoughts around that well, I I in the process of writing the book I myself was really challenged um, I decided um, probably about halfway through the book that um, I wouldn't use male pronouns for God um, now that is not a natural thing for me because that's what I've done all my life I you know I continue to do it sometimes but for me the practice of calling God, God, um, just God, um, even though it might make sentences awkward sometimes and you have to kind of think a little bit harder. For me, um, it didn't make sense for me to be writing a book that said, you know, God is not a white man, but then still be referring to God as male, he. And people can kind of get upset about this um, idea and think about, think that it's part of this I don't know, a woke agenda or political correctness, but actually if we go right back to the creation story even, and you look at the original Hebrew words that were used to describe God um, and the Holy Spirit, the metaphors um, 
that are used to describe God throughout the Bible, um, the Holy Spirit in the creation story is described in the feminine. Um, God in various points throughout the Bible is described in the feminine, in the neither male nor female, in the male, male quite often. And then you look at kind of Bible translation throughout the centuries and how a lot of that um, sense of God as other, neither male nor female, has been reduced to God being male and because, of, because of the patriarchal societies in which the um, translation exercises were being done. So, yeah, I think, it, I think it's awkward, it's yeah. uh, uncomfortable, but I think we should think about how we describe God um, and how we sometimes reduce God to less than what God is. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you talk, you use the phrase, I don't know whether you borrowed it from someone else, I can't remember, but in the book about white men, white man being the default human. Where, where did that first come in? And can you talk a little bit about um, the whitewashing of history, but Christian history particularly? Yeah, where did it come, <laughs> where did it first come in? I think... Um, if you look back to the early church, the immediate early church, um, you see how Jesus drew in men, but also women, mm -hmm. in ways that the society wouldn't have been totally. comfortable with at that time, sure. of course. So um, I think probably you know, within decades after that, um, the Bible... And the trans translation exercises, again, the storytelling was done within pa patriarchal um, societies. Um, and I think in a patriarchal society, it makes sense. Everyone seems to be okay with this <laughs> idea of God as being male and white. Mm -hmm. um, and, the, and white men as the default human is not just a thing that is... Um, a problem for the church is a problem in every kind of sphere of society. So there's been lots um, written. There's a really good book called Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez, which talks about how even you know the de designs of cars or seatbelts or um, all those kinds of things are um, aimed and created and designed for wow. men. Um, so society functions in a way that you know the default is man. The default is often white man, um, and everything else is other. The thing that I've been really uncomfortable with in discovering is how some of the early church fathers spoke about women, for example, and how that patriarchal views, um, you know, became intertwined with our theology. So this, mm -hmm. these ideas that women were. Um, less able to um, reflect Jesus um, and less able to um, reflect God because they were women. So there's kind of something wrong with, yeah. with women's bodies that made them actually inherently yeah. um, less able to um, receive salvation. Now, that is obviously extremely problematic. Um, and it goes right back to even uh, the early church um, fathers that we... Revere. Sure. What's, what's flabbergasting is that that still goes on. I mean, yeah, it was there in the early church fathers, but there are still those that would seem to hold to those views in the 21st century world. Um, 
you, you studied here at Cambridge, so welcome back. Um, did you, you, you mentioned this briefly, it was just a thought, I, I had a, you talked a little bit about the old boys club. Um, obviously there's more and more coming out about Cambridge, Oxford, um, Church of England, and, and we're not distancing ourselves from that, that's just sort of the church, but you know, transatlantic slavery, involvement in all those kind of things. But you talked a little bit about the old, old boys club. What, what part have you observed that classism and racism work together? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And sometimes it's, it's only sometimes months and years after that you start to read back into situations and think, oh, why, why did that happen? Um, so for me, it was... I get, I am middle class, um, I'm also black, I'm an immigrant, so there are kind of the tensions of those th mm -hmm. two things. So I, I have my own privileges that um, some black people in the UK don't. But I arrived, you know, day one, St Catherine's College, um, and realised, oh, right, I'm, I'm maybe middle class, but I'm not, mm. I'm not necessarily going to be accepted in the same way or there is something that immediately when people see me they will think oh she you know other mm -hmm. and for me it was in matriculation dinner on the first night uh, where we were in obviously the, you know, these grand halls I'd never been in never had dinner in a hall like this before surrounded by paintings of old masters who um, I don't think there were any who look <laughs> looked like me sure. I don't think there were any women um, and being sat next to um, a fellow, an old guy, old theologian who, who kind of, you know, chatting away as you do in Cambridge events. Um, and he, the, at the dinner arrived and he looked at my paint and he said, I bet you're not used to this kind of food at home. And it was, I was like, oh, you know, I think this is chicken <laughs> and potatoes, <laughs> which I've had because I've grown up in uh, the UK. And that kind of, that kind of sense of othering yeah, yeah. Um, without knowing anything about me. Sure. Um, I think for me as well, my, my cousin was also at Cambridge at the same time. He's like a six foot something rugby player, um, black man. Didn't see a lot of those uh, in Cambridge. So he would get, you know, stopped um, and asked for his, you know, university ID quite often. People would do double takes. Um, so, so there's that. And I think I, as much as I love, you know, <laughs> I love um, lots of the friends that I've made at Cambridge, I had an amazing time, absolutely loved it. Um, I was at uni with lots of people who had extreme privilege, who had gone to Eton, um, whose fathers often, you know, owned things, owned big things. Sure. Um, and, and I realised that there was a confidence that came with that, mm -hmm. that made me less confident than I thought I was mm -hmm. because I questioned my my place my intelligence my worth um, whether I was supposed to be there so there's a lot of that mm -hmm. stuff going on but yeah mm -hmm. yeah you talk about well, obviously um, about Jesus laying down those privileges the privileges that he had in order to lift up the oppressed and you know Jesus is our model Jesus says you know he came to to serve, not to be served, you know, how can those that have those privileges, we as white people, lay down things that we can actually help those, um, particularly black people who have been oppressed? How can we do that maybe practically or 
other thoughts that you could say, well, how can we dismantle some of this privileged uh, society? I think some of it starts with us thinking about the things that we as Christians hold on to and that start to be associated with our Christian faith. So I write in the book quite extensively about how it's problematic when Christianity, let's say in the US, um, becomes associated with power and with nationalism mm -hmm. and masculinity and strength and all, all these things are just completely, to me, the opposite of what Christianity is supposed to be about. Um, so I think we have to be alert to any sense of that um, in our churches, um, that sense of holding on to something that is that not Jesus <laughs> um, and wanting to protect and cons conserve. However, I've been really convinced actually more recently about potentially this idea of giving up privilege and giving up power as potentially not not a great selling point to white people. Uh, and it's probably why we're still in the situations that we are in now. Because I think, surely, we, if we're all convinced that actually the world should be an equal place, that the church should be equal, it would be. <laughs> if we're really, really convinced about it. So there is something, I think, that holds um, my white brothers and sisters back. And I think it's the fact that I don't think saying to you, give up your power, give up your space for me, is a compelling ask. What we need to be convince people more about is human flourishing and solidarity and equality amongst all of us. I think white people need to understand that the world will be a better place mm. for all of us, including white people, if black people aren't oppressed <laughs> or if black yeah. people aren't shot in the street or whatever it is. And so it's... It's human nature to want to protect and to want to be defensive and to want to conserve power. Um, so how can we, as Christians, in order to m make space, level up the playing field for those who are oppressed, we need to um, give ourselves the compelling arguments for why we need to do so, which is about the flourishing of all of us. Beautiful. Kind of, kind of related to that, but um, slightly different tact. Uh, reparations. Obviously, history shows that the church, uh, institutions, universities, etc., have been complicit in slave trade, and the UK and different parts have got rich in relation to that history. What what part should reparations play going forward? Repentance should be there. We you know we agree with that. There's stuff that the church should repent of, particularly we're talking church in this context. But should there be anything more that we can do uh, as an entity, as an organisation? Or I'm not trying to point the finger. We're not Church of England. I'll, I'll just put it out there, obviously. But the church, let's keep it in, in that way. What more can we do reparations-wise? I think we need to think about reparations differently as well. Because I think often when we say the word reparations, people think oh, you want to give my money to, you know, someone else. It's not just about money. I think um, it's, not just about, it's not just about saying sorry either. So lots of church institutions have produced lots and lots of reports yeah, that yeah. say certain things over the past, you know, 30, 40 years that then don't lead to action. Um, but 
it is really difficult, but it's like we need a complete um, unseeing of like, all the way that the world is, or a complete seeing of the world how it is. So reparations needs to include wholesale like social shift and change. Um, so, for example, the structures of our I don't know, school system, education systems, the structures of our criminal justice system that mean that some people are going to be um, at the bottom mm -hmm. uh, no matter what they do. So how can reparations include um, uh, re reshaping how the world is, basically, right. which, is, right. which is not easy to do. Sure, yeah. um, but but it, we need things that will lead to actual change. Yeah. When it comes to the church in particular, um, I think it's about, let's talk about our theology, our theology. And when I say our theology even, I mean, it tends to be a theology that has been shaped by white people um, and often white men. Mm -hmm. um, so how can we think of God as bigger than that? <laughs> how can we think of um, how can we bring in um, uh, theological voices that are from outside the UK even? Um, how, can we, how can we use black theology or so-called black theology as a way to see um, God differently um, in often ways that I think God should be seen, which is as a God who um, sides with the marginalised and oppressed? Mm -hmm. um, how can we make sure that our leadership teams are... Um, diverse, not just because of political correctness again, but because actually a diversity of views is better for all of us um, if, we, if we're able to see the world in lots of different ways at the same time. Yeah, yeah. That's great. I like the way you've, you've widened reparations there than just a, a price tag that people... How we put that on, I don't know, but that's, that's very helpful. Thank you. Within that, do you think that... I mean, we obviously, cities and towns are taking down statues, they're looking into their history, they're um, looking at, you know, the history. I know that there's a research going on at the moment at the University in Cambridge looking at the, the um, connections, you know, to slave trade. And do you think statues should be taken down and maybe even, you know, the Queen's picture in some of the colleges? <laughs> it seems that because of colonialism connections and um, what are your thoughts around that? Uh, um... <laughs> So I read an interesting article in The Guardian last week, I think, by Gary Young, which said we shouldn't have any statues at all of Nelson Mandela or anyone because statues are um, almost... Um, they are put up um, to revere a certain point in history. Um, and no-one is perfect. Um, even Nelson Mandela isn't, you know, isn't perfect. So why is it that we revere in the form of this, like, you know, still statue? Um, so I have a question about statues in general, mm -hmm. um, but should they be taken down? I think there are some of them, I think, that, you know, the very least just, should just have a little plaque on them that says, this is, the, this is a more holistic story of this person's life that is not um, putting them up or putting them on a pedestal that we should um, worship. So, for example, example, Colston, I mean, you know, he was responsible for the the murders of lots of black people, why on earth would we be asked to 
um, revere that person. I can understand why, if you have that person's statue, you also have a responsibility to educate um, about a past that is shameful um, and that we should never go back to. We never will go back to that. But how can we remind people today of the wrongs of the past? Um, so I'm not sure about you know, tearing down statues, um, but I think the Colston statue is, a, is an interesting example because they, were, you know, they tried for a long time through various different ways to try and get that statue down. And it comes to a point where <laughs> you know, sure. um, so much anger. So, so I think we need to, um, I think what's good about the statue conversation is we are educating ourselves about our history. We are learning that the people that we have um, revered are problematic, um, like all of us. So I think the, the positive thing is that it's educating us about our past um, that is, yeah. in many ways, horrendous. Sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so the church, you know, we've been party to kind of um, allowing racism to happen and, and being part of that in the past. Um, we've been to blame in various different, different ways, you know. What is your hope for the future for the church to change and to um, improve the situation um, what are your hopes and dreams for the church i think it's um first of all a, a recognition um the problem that i have in some church conversations or spaces and that i'm encountering because of the book is a, a de extreme defensiveness that doesn't even acknowledge that there's a problem so i think um i think Churches need to acknowledge that there's a problem uh, that needs to be handled or sorted or discussed in, a, in, in some way, rather than feeling a judgment um, and defensiveness. So I think there is a, yes, yeah, so there's that recognition, but also there is, you know, creating space to hear the stories um, of black people within our congregations, um, to just listen and to ask questions and not to um, put ourselves into the story in order to make ourselves feel better. So um, to say things like, well, I experienced this too. I remember when I experienced this kind of discrimination because of this. I think just listen for this moment mm -hmm. and to this conversation and to hear people's real pain. I think we have a real... Um, this is, uh, you know, 2020 was in many ways, just an amazing moment for the church because there, well, there was this reckoning. For black people in the UK, we were um, dealing with like real trauma um, of all this stuff that we had kept inside. And I am really thankful that there were so many more white church leaders than I would have thought or expected who were like, actually, we need to, <laughs> we need to you know, be part of those protests, we need to, um, listen. So I'm really encouraged by that. Um, I think what I want the church to do, to do is, as much as many churches are multiracial and would call themselves diverse, we need to just be alert to the fact that even in those spaces, whiteness is still the dominant, um, um, I guess, culture. Um, and in many ways, we are asking people to conform to that default human culture. So how can we um, free ourselves up to the diversity that comes with being part of the kingdom of God? And that diversity is 
sometimes messy <laughs> and it's awkward and it takes some kind of conversations and working out how we do things. But in the final chapter of my book, I talk about the kingdom of God as, as a mosaic, which is you know, lots of different shape pieces um, being kind of stuck together. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, they, don't, they shouldn't fit um, and they don't fit. But if you stand back and you look at the whole, the whole. just how beautiful that is. Mm. Um, so that's my call to the mm. church and my hope. I love that phrase with the mosaic that you, that you talk about in the book. Um, in the interview that I watched for the book launch, you were asked um, who, who you'd ideally like this to get into the, the, the hands of. And um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the things you said there was you'd like particularly wise, conservative, evangelical women. Is that what you said? Um, why did you... Why that? And... and Obviously, there's some process behind that. How did you, you come to that? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> my book, my dad talks about it like a, an eating the elephant kind of experience. Where, <laughs> not eating the elephant, sorry. <laughs> my dad talks about it like a, um, that story of a blind man who's touching an elephant and you've got the different okay, parts yeah. of it because there are lots of different parts to it. There's the, you know, the theology and the intellectual arguments around the nature of God. But a lot of my book is around what it is to be a a woman mm -hmm. and the way that I try to connect is um, although sometimes I regret it is in telling my vulnerable vulnerable stories about um, the thoughts that I have in my head um, the the painful I, why do you regret it because you feel so exposed yeah yeah um, and I think part of it it's kind of my natural style oh, yeah. communication yeah. style to to just tell it all but then when it's in <laughs> when it's in print yeah. and when people say to you, oh, wow, you're really brave in telling yeah. that story. And I just think, oh, you why? You can't take that back. I can't take that back. No. Um, but I feel like the way that, the only way that you can connect with people who are wildly different to you, who have completely different theological views, political views, is through personal story and through connecting to people on a personal level about mm. what it is to be human. And for me, it's about what it is to be a woman, um, happens to be a black woman. Um, but I just would hope that I can connect to some of the um, white women in America, for example, who might have voted for Trump, who see, um, who see the world in a certain way. Mm. How can I connect with them um, on a personal level in order to convince them um, that the way that they see the world mm. might not be the only way to see the world? Sure, yeah. yeah. Mm. Got you. Okay, we're probably coming into land now. Um, Revelation, let's read it, Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, which is an inspirational passage. This, this will happen. What can we do then to bring that into now? Oh, that's an amazing picture. <laughs> um... It is. Ah, oh, God. So I think um, we've just got to do our best to kind of value mm. people. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> I 
all gone now, so... <laughs> it is a, a beautiful picture. And surely, this is what's to come. The, the church is unique in its position in the world to demonstrate this. I think we have to believe that God um, sees each of us made in his image. Yeah. I think we don't. Sure. So often we don't, and we. Um, I just think we just need need that. I think if we authentically saw every single person as made in God's image, part of this kingdom, then that's how we get there. Yeah. Amen. Amen. One one last question um, from us. This we 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 want to educate ourselves, be as vulnerable and open as we can. Learn, listen. Um, listen is a, a big factor in all of this. Um, so we're going to be vulnerable here and ask you, be as honest as you can back to us, have any of these questions that we have asked you revealed anything of a white, privileged, superiority attitude that we might have, us, <laughs> sitting here? There's nothing that kind of came to mind, but I'm, I'm, the question I'm asking myself is whether I'm so used to it, I wouldn't right, <laughs> notice, so notice it. I, I have to say that, uh, I'm not going to say this to kind of butter you up, but I, from what I've seen of um, your approach to this conversation, um, I just wish, I just wish, like, every church leader, if every church leader in the UK was like you are, in having these conversations, in being vulnerable, in asking questions, in, in trying to, to do this right, I mean, what a difference that would, sure. <laughs> what a difference that would make. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you for even like even asking that question. Um, shows that I don't know that you're. Oh, thank you. No. <laughs> yeah, we we can do better and we must do better, and that's that's very well there. Thank you, thank you for writing the book to give to. Uh, I don't think I want to say the church, but it's more than the church. Uh, I think it's a gift to us at this time. So um, buy it, everybody. Uh, and thank you for being with us today, Shinde McDonald. Thanks for having me. Made in the image of God, each and every one of us. How amazing be put, she worded that. And right now we're gonna do something that we do at every one of our services at C3. We're gonna give you an opportunity to respond, to maybe give your life to Jesus for the first time, or maybe come back into relationship with God today. And she talked there, didn't she, about her friends at Cambridge who had privileged families, wealthy families, and the confidence it gave them. Well, I want to tell you that when we come into relationship with Jesus and when we know God, there is a confidence that is far different to that confidence, but a confidence in who we are and whose we are. And so right now, I would love for us to pray a prayer together. Let's all pray it. Pray it out at home as well if you're watching at home. And, and let's um, declare that we want to come into relationship today, maybe for the first time or by re reconnecting with God, or maybe you're helping someone else in this room or online today. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, today I want to give you my life. I thank you that you died on a cross for me. Jesus, I give you my past, my present and my future. I want to become a Christian today and be in relationship with you. Thank you that you accept me just as I am. 
Amen. Just keep your eyes closed if you're in this room. Hey, if you prayed that, would you just put your hand up and straight back down so I know who we prayed for today? Anyone online who's prayed that, just let us know in the comments by putting yes. Anyone in this room? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you. Why not share it with your friends and family through social media? If you're not on the regular podcast list, then why don't you subscribe? Thank you especially to those that give. If you want to give to this ministry, you can go to our website, thec3.uk slash giving and get involved. God bless you.